Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the Roos, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome to the Bruise Banana FC podcast. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. And today I'm joined by Ben. You can find on Twitter at BenBrowning3. Ben, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time since we've jumped on our pod together. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Although I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit sad that the adjective superlative generator didn't make a showing today. Clearly Luke forgot to give you the password. Yeah, I'm gonna put that blame on Luke. He he neglected to give me the password. It definitely wasn't me not loading it or anything like that. But yeah, we'll you know we'll put the blame on Luke since he's not here to defend himself. Sure. <laughs> so sure. today we're gonna obviously talk about the emphatic victory over Lanz, and I thought it was really interesting to compare this performance to that against Brentford. But Ben, before we dive into you know, the, the nitty gritty and, and how we dismantled Lons. I, I want to run through some of the records that were broken, some of the statistics, because I thought these were pretty interesting. So Gabriel Jesus last night became the first player to score in each of his first four Champions League games for an English club. Bukayo Saka became only the third per player since 2003 to score and assist in three straight home Champions League games and is also the second player in the top five leagues to reach 10 assists in all competitions. Then Arsenal were also the first side in Champions League history to have five different goal scorers in the first half. Kind of what is really, I think, the most interesting statistic in kind of that we can talk about is Bukayo Saka with, you know, becoming, you know, I guess, turning into a lot more of a creator than we have seen in recent years and kind of, we know Bikayo Saka for his goal scoring and, and, but his really, his, his assisting and creativity has been on full display this season so far. Yeah. I just really hope that he um, puts this sort of slow start behind him in the next few weeks, because we could really do with some more goals and assists, couldn't we? Yeah, I definitely think luckily goals last night were not hard to come by and kind of the last statistic <laughs> that I have is that in probably the most important one for Arsenal in the short term and I guess long term is that today was or yesterday was the first time that Rice, Odegaard, Havertz, Saka, Jesus and Martinelli have all started together which I thought was pretty fascinating and five of those other than Declan Rice all scored my, I guess my question, first question to you is, did you realize that, you know, all of those six players and kind of what we think of as our six key crucial you know, starting 11 players that they had yet to all play together? And here we are basically in December. No, um, obviously we knew Rice and Saka are playing basically every game, but um, especially Jesus, Jesus being injured, um, Erdegaard having his injury, Havertz being in and out the side doesn't surprise me, but um, I, I suppose it does surprise me. It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that it's taken this long, but it does surprise me that this was their first game, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I, I feel think like that... oh, sorry, I go feel ahead. like they're all so so like that's the five that we've been expecting to see all season, and it feels like I haven't noticed when Trossard's played or um, you know Vieira's played. So you know, it's a testament to the quality of the backups that we have, but it's sort of like a 
yesterday was like, oh shit, they really haven't played together, and this is this is pretty good. I mean, lawns were terrible. Let's not get it twisted, but it was still quite impressive. I thought for a first outing. Yeah, I definitely. You know, I kind of wanted to hear your your thoughts, especially comparing. You know, when we compare it to Brentford, Brentford played in kind of what we've seen in the Premier League this season is that when in the Premier League teams are going to put nine to 10 men behind the ball, stack the box and just defend for 90 minutes. And it's very frustrating as a fan to watch because it seems, Oh, we should be able to score, you know, when we're nicking one nil victories and yes, we're winning, but it's not been as emphatic and not been as free flowing. And and we have all these questions about what's going on with our attack. And I think you it's clear that we do have issues with our attack in terms of breaking down low blocks, but most teams in the world have issues breaking down a low block, especially a, one like Brentford who are very, very organized and very good. And I do think it's a little, it's a lot of it is, you know, a compliment to Arsenal in terms of how teams are setting up against us that we saw against PSV and we saw against Lons now that if teams want to play toe to toe with us, we'll just absolutely rip them apart. And yeah, that's awesome when it happens, but it kind of is, you know, other teams in the league watch that and say, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going to try and press them. And we're not going to try and play toe to toe because we're just going to get absolutely dismantled. Ben, let's start kind of thinking about is, do you think just the, the offensive outburst that we saw last night kind of down just down to, yes, lawns are probably worse than Brentford and, but just, because they went at us and and wanted to press to initially and that we kind of just took them apart and it's really more of a stylistic thing from what the opposition does rather than you know, things clicking per se and kind of solving all of our attacking woes. I think I think there's definitely a bit of that. Um, you know, it felt like especially the goals, the Tommy Asu long ball that found was it Martinelli and loads of space on the left there was sort of just a clearance and you feel like if there was a low block then, or like if the team were defending a bit deeper then that maybe wouldn't have led to the position that we found ourselves in. Um, some of it was just poor defending. Like the, the second goal where Sacco drifts inside and then has the determination to beat two of their players to square it for Jesus. I think that, you know, maybe you don't have the space to do it against a low block, which is the whole point, but like that's just a determination thing. That's not necessarily a stylistic thing. But for the most Same part, with Havertz's yeah, goal, they just the the defense yeah. defenders just tuned I think out it was, and it didn't, was a mixture yeah. because I think the Havertz goal at the half time they showed there were seven players seven Lons players in the box like around the player the play but not one of them tracked Havertz and that's not a deep block thing that's just a players not paying enough attention thing um I think obviously I think the Premier League's harder Lons had some good moments but. You you look at how much we struggled against Brentford, where I think we put in a, a pretty similar performance in terms of uh, right up until the final, you know, the final action. It just felt like um, we had a lot more freedom, I suppose, against Lons because in the Premier League, because we came second last season, so many teams would just treat you with so much respect. They have to because, as you say, otherwise they get torn apart. We saw that last season. There were a couple of high-scoring games. We, I think we thrashed Forest 5-0. And obviously we beat Brighton 4-2 on New Year's Day or whatever it was. Was it New Year's Day? New Year's Eve? I forget. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that 
now teams give you so much more respect. Maybe in the Champions League you don't necessarily get that because it's there are only six games and Lons had to win to stay in the group. And it just meant that we had, we had so much more space to play our football, which we know, as you say, we're really good at. Yeah, I definitely think that a large part of it is this, stylistically that against a low block and our best players, I, I feel it's been pretty consistent that when you're able to crowd out Odegaard, that our, our, our attack just kind of suffers because so much of the creativity, especially when you know, against Brentford, we didn't have or a lot of the season so far without having Odegaard, without having that real creative midfielder that we rely so much on somebody in that eight to kind of provide that creativity. And in this match against Lons, it was pretty much full on display. One thing though, that I did know a lot, there's a huge difference I thought in Tomiyasu compared to Brentford in terms of his overlapping play that, he obviously had a, a couple of uh, really good assists and the assist for Odegaard was, was came directly from him making an overlapping run that is so char- characteristic of Ben White. And we kind of hadn't seen that for a while. Do you, I guess, kind of let's try and diagnose, you know, what really are the, the issues with our attack and, and what did you see from Brentford that maybe you saw kind of be fixed or improved against Lons that, you can project forward that maybe, you know, we're starting to turn a corner. I mean, I think Kai Havertz had a much better, no, no better performance, but a much more confident performance. Um, that goal and maybe the celebrations after the goal, as much as the goal, uh, when Artesta took him over to the away fans and all the things that have been said since, that seemed to really help him because it, although it was quite a scrappy goal that he scored, it was one of those where you have to be in the right place at the right time. And then you saw... I think it was towards the end of the second half where he was on the touchline and he beat a player with some really nice skill that I don't think we would have seen two weeks ago. I think he would have tried to pass it back. Um, but now he's sort of looking forward. He knows he can be a bit more adventurous. And, you know, game state helps. We were 5-0 up. But um, I think Kai Havertz doing what Arteta envisaged him doing, or you can only assume that was what the plan was for him when he was bought. That's really important. Um I, th- I mean, I think that we got a lot of success because Lons didn't double up as aggressively on Sacro Martinelli as um, as like Premier League sides do. And as you say, there was more space to run into because they weren't playing that low block the whole time. I think Saka drifting inside was really good. That's something that we might see more of, um, especially if sort of Erdegaard goes more central because Havertz is further forward. It, it might be a case where that ha- Saka has to start drifting inside to try and find some space, I guess. And that was obviously what happened for the second goal. I think that uh, overall, it wasn't... Like, Tom, Tommy Assi was excellent in both boxes, I thought. And I think Luke even said in our, in our chat, he was like, he's playing on... He's putting in an undroppable performance, which, um, you know, is a question about whether Ben White even gets back in the side. I think Tommy Assi's best position is not right back. I'd say he's probably better on the left uh, so far this season anyway. But I'd, I'd, I think he's making a case where he can't be dropped for the weekend unless he's injured so that's a headache for Arteta but I, I, I don't know how much we can take from Lons like looking at it it was not a, it was quite similar performance wise to Brentford it was just that we had the early goals that we wanted to you know make Lons push forward and open up space to, to hit them on the on the counter and in transition 
which is where we we tend to be best anyway so it's one of those things where i think there are lots of seeds of good things but whether they come up when we play at the weekend or when we play Luton next week it's going to be i think only time will tell yeah i definitely think all season long when we talk about kai havers we've we've talked about wanting to see his personality come out and wanting to see him play more and not look so robotic. And, and a lot of the criticism of him was that it looked, you know, whether it's right or wrong, body language came into it a lot looking, Oh, you know, he looks like he's not confident and for a while. He was playing without that confidence. And like you said, I was going to bring up Havertz later on with just the fact that I think one of the biggest changes is that he's playing with confidence and, and he's, you know, playing like he, belongs in believes he belongs in this position in you know, for a team like Arsenal rather than you know a lot of the issues with him at the beginning of the season were kind of what you mentioned that he played very scared and wasn't willing to take players on or make a difficult pass he was more willing to play very secure and whether or not you know that's exclusively because he's just become more confident or you know I'm sure Mikel Arteta has has talked to him and said you know as much as Arteta talks publicly about, you know, it's so mistakes are, you know, just part of football, especially with goalkeepers that mistakes are, are part of football that Kai Havertz, it is going to be nice to see him if this starts to, you know, I guess, kickstart his attacking career at Arsenal. What I guess do you kind of going on with Kai Havertz with the last minute winner against Brentford? I think, I think a lot about comparing that to you know what Declan Rice did against Manchester United in terms of scoring your first goal in such an emphatic victory. And yes, scoring a victory, a winner against Manchester United means a lot more than it does against Brentford. But still, big moments like that has to do wonders for him. We kind of already have touched on why he's playing so much more confidently. But I guess just like, I don't know if you have any thoughts about the moment of scoring a winner, not just the fact that he scored at all, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think as I say, it's as much the reaction. If he'd scored, like when he scored against, um, was it Bournemouth, he scored the penalty? Yeah. I think even if that was from open play, the the game statement, the the goal is sort of relegated because we're, we're, we're tuning it up. Um, so even if he scores the goal he, he scored against Brentford to make it 3-0, we'll be pretty happy. But, but you know, we have he scored his first goal for the club, he'll be buzzing that he scored his first goal, but it won't have the same gravitas where we talked about for the days after. Whereas this one was one of those where it, I, I, get, I reckon at a full-time, Mikel Arteta probably just came, and, came over to him and said, yeah, that's what we bought you for, keep doing it, that sort of thing. Because that, that goal was sort of exactly what we saw Havertz doing, trying to do in pre-season. That sort of back post for the cross. We've tried back post crosses all season long exactly. for him. Yep, exactly. And and he's fluffed quite a few. Like um, that was was it against Manchester United. There was one that he fluffed um, mm-hmm. really early on, like a volley from a corner or a header from a corner. I forget which. But um, that must have felt that must have made him feel amazing because this is the stuff he's been working on in training. You you guarantee all the time, and it's finally coming off. And to win it for Arsenal in basically stoppage time, that you know the. The elation that he must have had afterwards must, you know, will probably have played a massive part in why he was so confident stepping onto the pitch yesterday. And we're hoping that because he scored again yesterday, and that was that was our first goal as well. I'm pretty sure. So 
um, you know, it's, you're hoping that that sort of carries on where he's confident because he's actually making a tangible difference to score lines and, you know, he's make and results as well. You know, he scored a winner three days ago. He scored the first goal for, in a 5 0 win. These are goals that matter, whereas, like, the, oh, sorry, the 6 0 win. Whereas the sixth goal, like the Georginia penalty is nice, but it doesn't matter as much because we're coasting. And you hope that, that little bit of extra will help him carry on his confidence and carry on growing into this side. Yep, I, I, I definitely agree. So I think we, we can't really talk about the Brentford match without um, talking about Aaron Ramsdale and the performance he had. There's, where do you kind of fall on all the commentary of you know, Mikel Arteta put this on, you know, or brought this on to us in terms of having a shaky performance from Aaron Ramsdale and kind of the, a sh- the shaky performances that David Raya has put in until uh, he played really well against Lons. That, you know, I, I don't really want to bring up the, the full debate in terms of goalkeepers. I think that's kind of been rehashed. But, I mean, for me personally, I thought it was pretty disappointing in, you know, for somebody who very admittedly, you know, wants Aaron Ramsdale to win the job back, but knows it's not going to happen just because of how you know, Ramsdale is connected with the fans and connected. Mm-hmm. I felt, you know, feel very connected to him as you know, the, uh, I don't know, the voice of the team, the conduit between the fans and the team, just in the way that he uh, displays himself on the pitch. It, it kind of is sad and it seems very obvious that his Arsenal career is, is kind of coming to, going to come to a close here in the next year or so kind of what do you think in terms of yeah it's kind of there's kind of not really a question other than like Aaron Ramsdale was shit does that make you sad <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I mean I, I think Luke and I have spoken a lot about um our love for Ramsdale but there's no disguising that he had a pretty sh- I mean not pretty shaky very shaky performance against Brentford and it was the only opportunity that he's probably likely to get this season in the Premier League now. So, you know, he just doesn't help him. Like, I don't think he's helped himself in this situation. I don't think the the idea of having two top goalkeepers was going to work. But I don't think if if it was going to work, Ramsdale needed to be less talky to the press and more head down, focus on what you're doing. But it just felt like like there were I think we had two goal line clearances and that really awful throw out. So it just felt like um, you know, every time he's offered the opportunity not even the opportunity, every time he's forced into the team because Raya can't play for whatever reason, it's looked like Raya should be playing. And it's like absence makes the heart grow fonder with for David Raya, even though he's making mistakes as well. And it's a bit like, what do you do? Because you're supposed to have two top goalkeepers and you've got two goalkeepers that they're trying to outdo each other who can make the most mistakes half the times. So it just, I'm very upset that Ramsdale, or I was very upset that Ramsdale was dropped, but he's done nothing in the games where he's played to suggest that he should be playing. And what's more, he's definitely taken at least one step back from last season where he was much better. And that could be a confidence, I mean, probably is a confidence thing, but it just, that's football. Like you're gonna play when you're not confident, you're gonna play when you're confident, you're gonna play when you've got competition. That's something that he'll need to work on or need to improve on. Like if he's going to stay Arsenal, I agree, it looks like a massive long shot now. Yeah, I think especially for what he 
said over the summer and, you know, acknowledging that, you know, when he came in, he was coming in to push Bryn Leno out and it'd be naive for him to think that wouldn't happen to him and kind of talked about, you know, talked a big game and it kind of seems like that really has not, he's not been able to back it up. And, and like you said, I, whenever he was initially dropped, I was very upset just because of, like I said, how much I like Aaron Ramsdale, but again, ultimately whatever is best for Arsenal is, is, is best. And Mikel Arteta is once again, a ruthless son of a bitch that will, you know, has no fear in dropping any player in, I think long-term that's, and we've seen it as great for the squad. That's great for the team that we're, we're never going to plateau because players are never going to feel like their places. There's, there's no, no player maybe other than Bukayo Saka really, I guess is completely undroppable and and could never be replaced. And, And I think that's one of, it's a blessing and a curse. It's one of, Mikel Arteta's greatest attributes in terms of him as a motivator and him, you know, part of the reason kind of the next thing I want to talk about is kind of just big picture in, in talking about where Mikel Arteta has brought Arsenal from where we were when he took over to now topping our Champions League group with a match to spare and being firmly in the title race, top of the league at this point. And I think it's very evident that we haven't played our best football yet that there's a lot more to come. Obviously nothing is given. We're not definitely going to improve, but all signs point that our best attacking lineup has only played one time and five of those players scored. So maybe lawns were shit, but also we're really, really, really good. We kind of been taking a step back, like the journey that we've been on with Mikel Arteta and it's not a culmination, but I think this moment of winning our champions league group, like we did kind of, is an important milestone. Yeah, uh, it, it was emphatic, wasn't it? That, that's that's what we needed because we've had two Europa League seasons where we've had second string sides and looked pretty average, and there was a lot of in I suppose internal and external pressure to do well in the Champions League this season, um, just because of how the the project is playing out and you don't want you want to prove that you belong at the top table which i think over the last 18 months arsenal have definitely proved that they belong at the top table you know towards the top of it as well we may have got a easier group but even when you get easy groups i mean look at look at man united for instance um so i think i think it's just uh you're right it is is a long way to have come and it feels like we're actually in the champions league with a chance of winning instead of in the Champions League with a chance of being knocked out in the round of eight rather than the round of 16, like we were in the latter Wenger years. So I think it's one, it's good. It's it's good. There's a lot to still do because if we end up this season trophyless, then what's the point? You know, we're not going to look back and go, oh, that was a great time when we finished fourth in the Champions League and third in the Premier League. Um, it, it It's early in the season, but it looks like we're pacing it about right. Looks like the squad depth's there in a lot, in most places. A couple of additions in January, and then we'll see what happens because you don't. We last season we were all happy go lucky because we were well doing well better than doing well better, doing much better than we thought we were going to do. This season the expectations are different, and we're matching them so far. But that can change in three, four games. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I, I think that the 
there's ways that you can win your group <laughs> that make you feel very different that the way that we beat Lon 6-0, we beat PSV 4-0, we, we um, I don't remember the exact scores of the Sevilla matches, but they were very in, impressive performances. Yes, we, we lost one time to Lons away, but I don't, it's very unlikely that you go, you know, completely six wins from six in the Champions League, no matter how weak you think your group is or Champions League teams for a reason. And playing in, in the Champions League in the Europe, Europa League has, you know, performances have not been, you know, it's been the biggest area of weakness for Mikel Arteta and for most, almost every single one of the Arsenal players, barring a, a few. This was the first time they they were ever in the Champions League, and so just until now, there's so many unknowns. You know how does you know we all talk about Bukayo Saka being one of the best wingers in the world because of what he does in the Premier League, but in the Champions League is when you you get the opportunity to really show your level and, and show how you compare to the best players in the world. And I think our Arsenal are unquestionably one of the top five clubs in the Champions League in, in Europe and obviously then in the world. And when you say that with, you know I mean? Just saying, obviously we're, we're that good. We're one of the best, I think like betting odds, you know, we're top three or four, I think to win the Champions League coming from where we were, it's just, it's been a hell of a journey. I obviously, you know, it, it sounds like I'm reminiscing, but I'm not, I'm just more very appreciative and, and think it's, it's, you know, Looking at a lot of the other projects, I'm using air quotes here for for Ben and the Fabrizio Romano tweets um, that have happened around the league, looking at United and, and some of the others that we like to laugh at, that it's not often that things are, you know, are going as not smoothly isn't the right word, but are continuously progressing forward in the way that, yes, the beginning was in, extremely rocky, but kind of turned that corner and yeah I think the sky's the limit for this team I, I think that like you said if we end up trophyless at the end of the season it'll be a massive disappointment and that's the feeling that excites me that having the expectations is, is exactly where we want to be Ben before we wrap things up here I do want to laugh at United and, and kind of the state of that team that that club, the, the manager, and, and kind of everything around it. You you mentioned them drawing to Galatasaray in, in hilarious fashion. Um, we can't have a bruised banana podcast without laughing at something funny that one of our rivals does in the calamitous state of Manchester United. Yeah, well, they just make it so easy. Um, it's it it's the way that they lose. Like, I don't. I've never seen a team that I'd be so worried about being two two goals up. Like they always seem to find it against uh, last year Arsenal. Same. Yeah, you actually make a very good point. <laughs> but this is worse. This is worse. <laughs> um, it's just like it shocks me, and it's the nature of the goals they concede as well because they are all laughable. Like you look at Anana for the first two, and then even even the third one, his position is a bit off, and that's a great goal, but. That it was all written like Garnacho's goal was great. Bruno Fernandez scored a screamer, and it was like, oh, okay, cool. They they're keeping their hopes alive, and they're quiet in the crowd, and everything was going for them. And then it was just that moment. It was just a nothing free kick, 
that was just low and straight out and on and he just gambled and went the wrong way and it was that changed everything um in, in fairness it was a great game after that for the neutral it was incredible but as a united fan you've got to be questioning you've got to be questioning ten hogs recruitment as much as you can say oh you know we've got um you know we've got this that and the other we haven't spent enough money it's all on the glazers but mason mount can't get a game when he's fit and is injured been injured most of the season amrabat on loan looks like he looks like he should be playing for galatasaray next year like i don't i thought he'd be a good fit but it's just it's not working um casemiro's best days are behind him and even his good days are likely behind him it just feels like that team they've been hit by injuries but some they haven't got the the and i think it i think it proves a lot about how difficult it is to just completely come in and overhaul a team like when we like obviously Aubameyang and Ronaldo are incomparable in terms of size but when Arsenal throws out Aubameyang got rid of him we we sort of managed to move on because we were quite successful but there's still that shadow of Ronaldo that even even last week it was like Varane's been left out of the team because uh he spoke up about the treatment of Ronaldo or something so it's it's it shows how difficult running a football club is it's, I mean, it's funny for us, obviously awful for United, and it's just one of those things that, like, how do you get so much wrong from top to bottom at a club that makes so much money and can afford to pay the best wages for players and staff alike? Yeah, I think that it's hilarious. I, I couldn't imagine the pain that it would be to be a Manchester United fan, but I think if there's any fan base that deserves a nice 20, 25 year stretch of being terrible, uh, they would probably break even after, you know, the history of Manchester United. I think that's a, a good place for us to wrap things up. I hope you enjoyed our breakdown of Lons and Brentford. We'll be back this weekend after our hopefully another victory over Wolves. My name is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at JFishAFC. Thanks to Ben. You can find him on Twitter at BenBrowning3. We'll catch you guys later. Erdegaard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! Bukayo Saka, beaten out by the race, and touched in by Jesus! Bukayo Saka! Yes! Oh,